Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, as we continue rolling through this season, we talked earlier with up-and-coming leaders of the industry, and those conversations were awesome. And I think that there's so much to take away from what up-and-coming leaders are doing. But as we've, as we've moved into the middle part of the season, we are talking with peak performers. And again, you know, I would say that a peak performer is someone who has been running their business for you know, a pretty decent amount of time and is really running at full stride. And it doesn't mean the business is perfect. It doesn't mean there's not things that they're working on to get better, you know, as you'll hear in this conversation, but it means that they have learned something about themselves and about their business and they are running at a full stride. Today's conversation is a really cool one. It's with my friend Chris Becker from Twin City Fireplace in Minnesota. And I've gotten to know Chris quite a bit more over the last few years. I, I kind of heard, had heard about him for a, a while, you know, some of the product lines that he sells, he's, he's one of the top dealers in the country. And so I'd, I'd heard a lot about the business, but getting to know him has been really cool. We, we talk about this in the conversation that both of our personalities are, are pretty intense and, you know, it, it may not come off that way as you listen to this podcast, but I think that that's probably just through years of hopefully some reflection and, and humility that, that has kind of toned down my, my intensity a little bit to, be appropriate for the situation, but he's someone that, that shares that intensity. And, you know, I, I, I've seen Chris personally go on just a, a huge journey of transforming himself and his company. And I think that there's a lot of really cool things to take away. And we actually don't get to it in the episode, but Chris said something to me that, that now I share, man, almost every time I go and speak at an event or, or go work with a business. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to tease that up and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about it after you hear this conversation. So for now, I'm going to jump out of the way. I've got a lot of thoughts on the back end, but in the meantime, get out a pen and paper. I think this conversation is really special. Joining me from Minneapolis, Minnesota is the president of Twin City Fireplace. I'm here today with Chris Becker. Chris, how you doing, man? Good. How are you, man? I'm good. It's awesome to get to see you. I've actually been seeing you quite a bit this year, and it's it's kind of weird to do it over Zoom versus in person. Yeah, well, and everybody's of course probably you know zoomed out, but it's still a really effective tool to get stuff like this done. And yeah, well, Chris, there's a lot of directions I want to go in this conversation. And when I was thinking about peak performers to interview, you came to mind right away. And you know, I've gotten to know you more over the last couple of years. I've actually heard about. Twin City Fireplace for quite a while. And I guess maybe to start out, I'd love to hear about just how you got into the industry. I mean, I know that we both, you know, worked for Fireside Home Solutions, but we were kind of like ships passing in the night as you were going yeah. out, I was coming in. But could you tell us about your journey to get to the point of, of owning the business and doing what you're doing now? Yeah, I won't call it accidental. I grew up in it. My, my father had his own hearth shop from the late 90s into the mid 2000s. So I worked for him growing up. I started working for him in the summers when I was 12 years old and always had a job or two or three. But I, I kind of had this mindset that I, there had to be an easier way to make a living than being in this business. 
So, you know, I went through college installing and doing masonry afterwards. And this, this is the early 2000s, you know, pretty reasonable economy, but a lot of, a lot of classmates weren't really getting jobs. And I was working for HHT's uh, factory stores in the Twin Cities area as an installer, both in builder and retail. And it, you know, it was a great living and a good time. And then I had some friends in the Seattle area. So 2006 was visiting out there and ended up talking with John Waterstrat a little bit. And it was a short, short period of time that I, I was in Washington. But when I came back to the Twin Cities, my wife and I found out we were going to be parents and we moved back home. And, and that's when I started the company. So I was 25 years old. And uh, I knew probably around 22 or three that if I stayed in this business that I would want to be an owner. And uh, moving back was a good opportunity to start doing that. I was able to do contract work with HHT. So it was reliable and got me started. Of course, the, the recession in 2008 and nine was, I was only around for you know, a year, year and a half when that all became kind of catastrophic. So that forced me to reinvent what I was doing at that time and get really serious about my own brand and what the valued approach could be to the market because it's an extremely competitive market. I didn't even have stickers on my truck. I had no marketing. So the economy's in shambles. It's early 2009. I'm going to be a parent again. Income has changed dramatically. And here we go. We're going to start to market. And it's worked out well. It's been a lot of fun. And, and I feel like we're still in that infancy stage or, you know, we're not in, in the life cycle of a company. We're not, we're not to adolescence yet. We, you know, it's been 14, almost 15 years and, and we got a lot more opportunities out there. So. Yeah. I, and I just got to ask you, you know, you mentioned John Waterstrat. So, you know, I, I worked for him when I was at Fireside and I'm curious. So you, you went out having experience in the industry to Seattle, which I'm sure was a dream come true for Fireside to be like, man, we got this guy who can, we can just plug and play into the system. He already knows HHT products. And you worked there for a little while. What was the sendoff like when you, when you, when you went back to Minneapolis, how did John send you off? With a hug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, th I think he, I think he punched me in the shoulder first, but yeah, I uh, stay connected with him on social media and every once in a while at a convention run into him. And he's always, it's always been a positive influence and a, you know, a, a guy who's I think rooted for you no matter what. So. Yeah. I, I had the same thing as I left to pursue Wi-Fi and, and, and other things, you know, John was incredibly gracious with sending me out and, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. So I think it's cool that you had a similar experience. Jumping into it, you know, at at Twin City. So you're 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 in you know the Minneapolis St. Paul market, which is probably the biggest fireplace market in the U.S. I mean, maybe maybe not on the new construction side, but I gotta think that it is. You've got kind of a perfect storm of like a major metropolitan area, freezing cold weather, but market maturity. Can you just talk about the market conditions that you exist in? Yeah, they're extremely competitive, you know, and I have some estimations as to what the total market dollar amount is. And I think they're pretty accurate. I do believe that, you know, we probably are in the second position in terms of the volume. And I think there's a big gap there. And then I have eight or nine other players that are, you know, smaller and, and really get along with most of them very well. So there's a, there's a lot of competition, so to speak, but I, I never have really looked at it that way. You know, I knew we were going to have to be different and being a field guy, you know, my approach immediately was 
how can I make this easier for the customer, the homeowner? I really focused on retail business first. I don't really like to call it retail business, but because at the time, I didn't even have a showroom. I sold all my fireplaces off brochures in the living room in a tattered t-shirt and jeans because I was installing <laughs> all day before. So it was a lot different approach to get started. And most of the industry locally, most of the people were, you know, I won't say, yeah, go start up another shop. Who wants more competition? But nobody was discouraging either. Yeah. You talked about selling for the first couple of years without a, without a showroom, wearing you know jeans and a ripped up shirt in someone's home off of a brochure. And you had a lot of success with that. And I've heard you talk about showrooms in our industry versus in-home selling. Can you talk to retailers that maybe don't take in-home selling as seriously as they should? Yeah, I would suggest they wake up. I'm just going to say what what I'm thinking. You know that. But, you know, showroom is always going to be a great tool. But the consumer behaviors are different than they were 20 years ago. You know, and, and if you think about it from the standpoint of the fact that somebody can build a whatever dollar amount of house, I don't care if it's a $300,000 home or a $30 million home, they're buying that off of a print. Now, they may have been through the builder's prior homes in a parade or something like that. They've seen the craftsmanship, but they're getting everything that they are purchasing for their home really off visualizations. We are a small piece of the whole home when you really think about it. And I won't say that we've made it easy for homeowners or builders for that matter to, to overall you know, integrate us in. We touch the electrician, we touch the framer, we touch you know the HVAC company or the plumber, whoever's running the gas. And I think we we want to think we're special and we are, but we aren't so special that we need to remind everybody of that. We need to figure out how to be easier to do business with. I know a lot of people that don't have any displays that sell millions of dollars of hard products every year. You don't need a display to do that. And I think the manufacturers, if they want to grow their business, should open their minds up to different models like that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And you, know, you talked about your goal being to make it as easy as possible when you were first starting out in scrapping. And to me, it seems like that's something that you've built your whole business on. And, and you know, when you exist in a market with the fireside stores and there's, and there's other major retailers outside of the fireside stores that are in the Twin Cities, it seems right. like building your process around ease for a customer, that's a way to craft out a value wedge. Can you, can you just talk about like, why has is, why is that been what you've latched onto? I, you know, aside from identifying product differences because you know there is uh, there's of course grades of product within our industry aside from that i i felt in my prior experience that whether it was a builder or it was a, a homeowner there was many times frustration when you're the guy in the house or you're the guy on the job site you're hearing about a procedural or process driven thing that the client was not happy about or that inconvenienced them or we had to make X amount of trips to get this done. And so I just I just really thought to myself, let's let's focus on how to alleviate those pains. And, and we don't do it 100% successfully. We don't market a proven process yet. It's something that we we have been working on for about 3 years. And I don't know that I mean it, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't caused us any lack of growth or or anything else, but we, we do want to have a simple model that we can show a retail customer and a builder. They're a little bit different, but we want to show them you know how what, what it's like to work with us. And so we're still working through that a lot, working through that together. And you know we know how we do things 
behind the scenes. I think we've got that down. And, you know, every week as a team, each team in the company has a weekly meeting and that's there for us to talk about how we can improve. So what's a, what's an average week look like? Like how do you, how do your, how do your teams break down and how do you keep your pulse and everything with the company being as big as it is? For me, I'm in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays. Those are meeting days. I'm, I'm, I'm touching the business Monday through Friday, or, you know, if there was eight days a week and 25 hours a day, my head's in it somewhere. Management meeting starts Tuesday morning. That's religious 730 Tuesday morning. It's a 90 minute meeting. And then we have a finance meeting pretty much directly after that. We take a a break. So we go from management meeting right into the finance department. That's Tuesdays. And then I have a one-on-one with my sales leader on Tuesday afternoons. Wednesday morning, the field team meets. So the install team meets every week on Wednesday for 60 minutes. And sometimes the meetings last a full 60. We try to never let them go long. That's kind of a discipline that we learned. And with with EOS, you, you start on time and you end and on time and you know you get you get to the issues you get to and, and we don't treat anything as a problem or a, a, a fire or a catastrophe you know it's just that it's just an issue we're dealing with and when we keep it that simple you tend to get through it faster Thursday morning is the service team's meeting Thursday afternoon is operations team and Thursday morning is also the sales sales team and that one has always been in a zoom format because we have two locations. The traffic is horrendous in our market. And so asking team members to drive across town at 8 a.m. is just, I was never interested in that. So We'll get back to our conversation with Chris Becker in just one minute. Hey, if you've been listening to this episode and thinking, how can I take the steps to get on top of my business? you've got to start reading the Firetime magazine. Now, this is something that's been in production for a while, and I'm telling you, every single month, we deliver content from experts all over the country about how to run a better business, how to do sales in a way that's scalable and repeatable, how to install products, what do I do about all the different aspects of my business. Our goal as we created the Firetime magazine was to create a communal voice of the industry, and it's something that, you've got to pay attention to if you're not already. So here's how you can get a hold of the Firetime Magazine. You can download the Firetime Magazine app by going to itsfiretime.com slash app. And every single month, a new issue will be delivered. But it's also available in an audio format. So if audio is easier for you just based on being on the road or you know the hecticness of your schedule, you can subscribe to our sister podcast and it's called the Firetime Magazine Podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, type in the Firetime Magazine and hit subscribe. This content will grow you and the people around you in your business. So don't sleep on it. Check out the Firetime Magazine today. Well, one thing that I, I've been just fascinated by is, Chris, I feel like you are one of the most intense people I've ever met. And I, I say that feeling like people tell me that my personality is incredibly intense. And I think through you know self-awareness and at least a little bit of maturity, I've, I've learned to kind of dial back the intensity at, at many times to, to be appropriate for the situation. But man, like you get me fired up. And it's like, watch out, dude, like you, you know, it's, it's just easy for me to torch and to steamroll people. And I, I, I think that you, I think that you've one upped me as, as someone that's even more intense. And so it, you know, I, I'd like to hear about like your journey of yourself. Like, I know that you've gone through like a radical, even physical transformation over the last few years. And I want to just hear about how you have been able to 
capitalize on the strengths of your intensity and where you've had to learn to to throttle it to be appropriate for the situation yeah um i'll i'll start by just saying i don't think that journey ever ends um you know i to, to continuously to be self-aware when your surroundings and your environment and the, the, the people that you're interacting with is changing. I think you always have to be adapting to those things and learning and staying fresh on it. I'm an extremely emotional guy. So my team has seen me blow up because something wasn't going right. At the same time, all of this team has seen me in tears of emotion and joy because I'm just so proud of them. Um, so I, I really, you know, I've realized, okay, I'm, I can be emotional one way, I can be emotional the, the other way, and neither are bad. Um, but that intense energy that, you know, for the, if you're, if you're talking to another red, you know, we, we have a color block system that we've done, and my top color is red. It's fiery intense. And I'm talking to a green who's more thoughtful and calm. You know, I got to tone down that message just a little bit. Um, and it, it's worked out really well. I mean, even you can imagine reading an email from, somebody in red, everything's in capitals and ends with an exclamation point. You send that to somebody who's, I mean, they're going to think you're yelling at them through an email. Um, and so I've just, I've had to step back and go, you know, who's my audience at this point, which internal customer am I talking to at this point? I practice mindfulness every morning, um, meditation, uh, I journal two to three times a day right away in the morning. And then at the end, um, and that's actually something I started doing before I, I go home because I don't want to take all this home. You know, I've got three kids and, and, a, and a beautiful wife and their intensities are not mine either. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really just trying to make sure that no matter what uh, I'm paying attention to that. And people underestimate um, how important it is to, to take time for you. A big thing that I, that I neglected was my diet, and my, my fitness. When I was in the field all day, I actually wish when I was in the field all day, I ate like I did, I do now because I would have been pretty lean. <laughs> I was eating you know, gas station cheeseburgers and whatever, but I didn't gain any weight because I was so active. You know, going through this stressful times, I gained a lot of weight. I don't think people understand how, when your nutrition is off, how bad that affects your, your mood. Um, you know, your ability to solve problems, just your, your whole, your cognition in general is just not there when aren't taking time to be mindful, minding what you're putting in your body and, and making time to be active. Um, you know, it's, it's not that I don't, I mean, I love cheeseburgers. <laughs> I just try to have one. I like to have one a month now, you know, it's usually a double with bacon and whatever. So, you know, go big, but um, yeah, I, I I felt, I felt like I kind of lost a little bit of who I was as a person when I was working so hard on the business. I didn't do anything for myself. Um, and I just wasn't happy. Um, and so, I, you know, I just never want to go back to that spot. Well, you showed me a picture of you from, I don't know how many years ago, four years ago, six ago. No. And dude, you looked seven years, eight years older. Um, you looked like a... And what made you go through that physical transformation? I mean, you had to have cut what 50 pounds. I mean, 70, 70 pounds and just, yeah. So like what, what made you say enough is enough. That, that picture. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 
let's go back a year prior to that. So March of 2016, I actually got hospitalized with high blood pressure. Um, If I hadn't gone in, I probably would have had a stroke. I got put on some medication. I felt a lot better, but I didn't change any of my lifestyle. And I actually gained more weight. And when I saw that picture, I just said, man, this isn't you. I I had always been active. I had always cared about making sure that I I stayed healthy. Um, I I didn't always eat eat that well um, and kind of got away with it for a little while. But, you know, I want I want to be healthy and active when my kids are adults. And, you know, I performed a lot better as a business owner and a leader when I was more on top of those things. Um, So overall, whether it was home, whether it was myself, whether it was the business, um, I just said, you got to change that. So a month after that photo was taken, I had lost about 38 pounds. And that started, you know, really a journey of awareness to, hey, man, I got to take care of myself. If I do that, the business will take care of itself a little bit better. Within 30 days, my, my mood was better. And it was just kind of the start of, you know, making sure that I never neglected that stuff again. Well, you're so intense on what you decide you're going to do. I mean, just like looking at that photo and, you know, what, what is it, a month, 45 days later, you're down over 30 pounds. Like, you just attack things with such tenacity. How do you make sure not to just steamroll people with that intensity? Because, I mean, you attack your business with the same intensity that you attacked your health and your fitness with. How do you not destroy people? So it, it's hard, but I just kind of look at it like, let's try to make 1% improvement every day, right? So we prioritize the stuff that we're working on. And, and there, you could have 90 issues on your list and every one of them is, is you know, important. You've got to get to every one of them. You start with the catastrophic ones. Um, and actually, when you approach it this way, you never really have anything catastrophic, um, you know, you, you're, you're already ahead of it. Um, your metrics are going to tell you when something's off. Um, but I mean, we spend as a leadership team, we spend 90 minutes each week talking about these things and we get through what we get through. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the sun comes up each day, the next day, and the, the issue or the challenge or whatever is still there. We really try to prioritize. We'll sit there sometimes and go, what is the most important thing? Sometimes I want to just say, hey, guys, we're going to do this. But I, I can't stand the thought of trying, you know, just being really my way or the highway. Um, I don't want, I don't want to do that. Were, were you ever that guy? Were you ever the my way or the highway guy? I think, yeah, without, without intending to be, I think I was. Yeah. Um, you, you yeah. know, I mean, I, uh, I, I certainly never said it out loud. I don't, I don't think, but um, I just come in and say, this is how we're doing. This is, this is how we're doing it. Um, now it's like, We'll talk about it. We'll try it for 90 days. We'll reevaluate it and we'll, we'll make tweaks as we need to go. Um, but the other, you got to get to every one of them. You start with the catastrophic ones. And actually, when you approach it this way, catastrophic. Um, you know, you, your metrics are going to tell you when something's off. Um, but, I mean, we spend, as a leadership team, we spend 90 minutes. We get through what we get through. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the sun comes up each day, the next day, and the or whatever is still there. We really try to prioritize. We'll sit there to what is the most important thing. To the sales leader, the marketing piece might be the most important thing. But you know, to the op- direct, you know, operation, hey, we, you know, we're we need another service tech. Our schedule's way out, and the clients aren't happy. Or we losing an installer. We got to find another one. And we're looking at we, we actually measure our our productivity, one our percentage of performance. But we just we have a constant pulse on where that schedule is. Um, 
And we're like, we, we can't, we can't let that install. So sometimes you're, you're in a little bit of a gridlock trying to decide what we're going to talk about. But, um, you know, if, if it's, if it's about productivity, we're in a slower point of the year, we're probably going to focus on that. Um, and, you know, I still have to step back and be aware of what, you know, again, who am I talking to within, within my, my organization? Um, say, Hey guys, we're going to do this. And, and the thought of trying, you know, just being really my way or the highway want to do that. Were, were you ever that guy? Were you ever the, my way or the highway guy? I think, yeah, without, without intending to be, I think I was. Yeah. For me, I think that I was just so unaware of the intensity of my personality. I'm, I'm going back to my music days, you know, and I would just steamroll people in the in the band setting with, we're going to do this. This is how it's going to be. And, there, and there's kind of arrogance that comes with that because it's like, I'm, I'm so fragile to th- thinking like, it's got to be this way. And if it's any different, then I feel, I feel threatened and, and insecure. And, and it was really a, a journey of, of learning about, man, like, you know, I think that that intensity is God given and it's, it's a huge advantage in some situations because I can like, I can say something's going to get done and like, we can get it done, but there's a shadow side to that gift as well that I'm still, you know, becoming aware of every, every day. But I think that with that intensity, man, I think that you've made yourself a servant of your people in just a really, a really cool way. Yeah. You know, as you were talking there, I was thinking about, you know, like a past, past employee that we had that, you know, my energy didn't jive. Right. Um, you know, and, and the speed at which I walk through the hallway is intense, like, <laughs> you know, and we, you know, just kind of the speed in which I'll talk or even the, the tone of my voice. Some people think I'm yelling. I'm not, I'm not yelling. That's just how I project. Right. So I've tried to kind of from a, from a, walking around standpoint, think positively all the time. Um, you know, I read a statement to myself every morning to align my thinking and my actions with positivity. And in doing that, we can have a lot of different personalities going around here. Um, and even in intense times, a little bit of discussion. You know, I had a frustrating point with a vendor earlier this week where some SKUs are outdated and we didn't get a matrix to tell us which ones replace which. Um, and of course it's causing a profit loss because we're sending a PO with an old skew and an old cost. And I've got to update the internal assembly that the salespeople use. It's just, it's frustrating one-on-one. And the, I, I actually went back to that, that rep with intensity on probably level, level eight or nine, you know, Hey man, this isn't, this isn't cool. <laughs> Okay, I think I know who this, and who this rep is. For him, your your intensity at an eight or a nine is like a fifteen on his scale. Yeah. It has to be. So you know, and and I know he can take it, but I am that mad about it too. Like you got to be kidding me that, that one I've asked for this stuff before. Two, come on, man. Like <laughs> we're trying to run a profitable shop here. Yeah. So. I, I feel like, you know, there's a level of self-awareness that you've shown to to come to this point. And I, I think that that is honestly like, that's the key to success. Like if you can, we, we never arrive like you're saying, but man, if you can have like just one iota of self-awareness over 
somebody else, I think that you're probably going to be more successful than them. I just, and it's not, it's not that we all can't be successful, but I think many people do not want to be self-aware because of, you know, the, the painful journey that comes with that. And I guess like I've heard you just rail on a lot of things in our industry, rightfully so. And as you started to go down this journey of self-awareness and and humility to, to, you know, to better yourself and the people that you serve, what, what is it about our industry that makes, whether it's manufacturers or other companies, or I, I think that like our industry in general, like there's so many people that don't want to get better, that don't want to know the truth. Like, like why is that? I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's stayed thinking, you know, it just, well, this is how we do it or this is the way it's always been. I mean, I'll go, I'll go full fire on it, man. I, like, I don't like average. Like, I'm sorry. I don't like average. And this is the way it's been. Well, it's pretty, been pretty average or it's been declining. People wake up and look at the metrics. I'll use health as the example, right? Like it's hard to, it's hard to be healthy and active and do that. It's hard to be out of shape, overweight, and you know, on a, on a baseline for a heart attack, right? Choose your, choose your heart. And at the same time, you know, if it's uncomfortable, it's probably what you need to do to grow. And I just don't see a lot of people changing. When I say people, I don't see a lot of man- manufacturers changing the way they do things. I mean, I think we still get paid like $45 for a warranty call. Like it's not 1992 anymore, people. That's a quarter of a gas tank to the service van. Like we got to wake up here and and get a little bit more innovative. Yeah. Man, if, if someone's listening to this and just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not where Chris is what would you say is the question everyone needs to be willing to answer if they want to get better? Who are you? What do you want? And why do you want it? Right. You know, I write down life goals and I write down quarterly goals and I learned this from a coach. I used to write down that I wanted a private jet to travel the world. Okay. I just want to travel the world at this point. Like wanting a private jet doesn't matter. But the other thing is you're going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you know, I have I have that on my wall right next to the meeting table in my office where my leadership team meets. Because if it's uncomfortable, we probably need to be working on it. If nobody wants to talk about it, it probably needs to be said. And if you're not willing to do those things, you're probably going to stay in a comfortable spot and comfort kills again. Um, you're not going to progress. Um, you'll, you know, again, I'm not trying to be critical or you know, arrogant here, but you'll, you'll be you'll continue to be average. I don't have any interest in that. I'm trying to build a world-class organization and give people great career paths and good lives. Take, take care of my team. Um, like, Hey guys, you know, we're, we're on track for our target or we're missing it three years out. This is where we want to be. And people are like, Oh man, that's a big number. And we talk about the profit number. And, you know, if, again, if you don't explain why that's important to the team, they're going to look at it and go, okay, that money goes into the owner's pocket. Well, no, here's what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to pay all your health care. I'm going to give you guys you know, this to your 401k match, whatever it is, right? But at the end of the day, why are we doing it? We're doing it to help more people. I love that. Okay, Chris, finish the sentence for me. Sales is a game of... Ooh. <laughs> Sales is the game of solving a customer's problem. I love it. I love it. Why'd you, why'd you go there? I actually learned that from you. Um, <laughs> I like, I like how simple it is. You can go a couple different ways with the message. You know, not everybody, everybody that's coming to you, 
Like nobody, again, nobody walks into a hearth shop or calls one if they don't want something. They might, they might be looking at a hearth.com article from 1994 where it says an insert was installed for 2,500 bucks. Like <laughs> that's a part of the internet that needs to be shut down and go away. But if they're calling you, they want something from you. They, they could have something broken. They could be cold. You know, they could just have a home that doesn't have a fireplace. So at the end of the day, you're solving their issue and that's what you're there to do. I love that, man. Yeah. If, if, if we are not willing to understand someone's problem, man, we, we might have sales come in by accident, but it's never going to happen on purpose. Chris, this has been awesome, man. I, I love, I love your intensity and I love how you are channeling that to, to make a better company and, and make a better community. It's awesome, man. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Chris. It was awesome for me just getting to chat with him. You know, like I said, he's someone that I've just seen develop a lot over the last couple of years. And, you know, having been out to visit his businesses and, and see what he's doing, I, I think that that he's a leader, that the industry, you know, I mean, the industry is paying attention to him. So I can't even, I can't even say that, that he, he is an established leader that people are paying attention to. But there's a couple takeaways that I had from this conversation. You know, when Chris talked about his bread and butter at the beginning, when he was, you know, a single truck service operation, selling fireplaces out of a brochure in people's living rooms, he had that fundamental question, how can I make this easier for the homeowner? And that question is worth asking. Our industry is great at confusing customers and making it extremely difficult for them to buy the products that we sell. And by setting out with the mentality that Chris had of how do I make it easier for people, that's a journey that will transform your business and it will make you the best option around. I promise you that. And, you know, it, it's a journey that you, you never arrive at, but making yourself easier to work with is something that's always a win, especially when you're in a market like the Twin Cities where it is very competitive and, and you know, there's, there's a lot of options for people to choose. One thing that blew my mind, and I I wrote this down as Chris said it, he talked about how every home sold is being purchased by visualizations. I never thought about that until he said it, but it's so true. You could be buying a entry-level home for $200,000, or you you could be building a $30 million home, but you're buying off of a visualization, you know? you're not walking through your home in your neighborhood, in your location, because it hasn't been built yet. And that's really important to think about. If that's true for $10 million homes, the same thing can be true for our fireplaces. We have to be able to help people visualize. And if we do that, we can sell from anywhere. When Chris was talking about the model of going out to people's houses, you know, we we found something really powerful. And, you know, very often when I talk to businesses, they want people to come into the showroom first. And I'm not against that, but truly, you know, we found we liked it if they were coming to the showroom second and we'd go out to the home first. Now, we'd qualify the customer and go through our sales process over the phone to make sure that we understood you know, the basics about their project, we'd send them an estimate very often over the phone so they could look at that price range and still make the commitment to the in-home visit. But we found by going out to the home first, when people came into the store, it was a buying trip. 
when they come into the store first, it's a shopping trip. But if you've been to the house and established this is the product that'll work, they're they're coming in to choose between two decorative fronts, not to say, well, do we want a fireplace or do we not? And so I, I think that, you know, in-home sales is something that we have just not taken seriously enough on the fireplace appliance side. The chimney guys get this. They are in thousands of homes a year and they're crushing it without a showroom. Meanwhile, many fireplace retailers want customers to jump through all kinds of hoops. Well, you got to come in here first before we go out to the house. Well, go home and take your measurements first, then come back to me. And that stuff just doesn't work anymore, right? People are too busy and they have too many options. So I, I, I thought that, that that conversation about visualizations and custom homes is powerful. Now, I, I, I promised that, I, that I'd share this at the beginning of the episode, but when I, I went to go visit Chris, I'm trying to think, maybe, I don't know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, somewhere in there. And we were talking about, you know, all the questions that need to be asked ahead of time, you know, when you're talking with a customer. And I was telling him how I love to have a pre-scripted list of questions, even though I've been in the industry, I don't know how long, you know, 18 years or however long it's been. I still have a pre-scripted list of questions. And the reason why is that I can't count on myself to remember everything. I need the list in front of me to help me stay focused. And Chris told me, he said, Tim, our brains are for solving problems, not remembering things. You need to document what you do so that you don't have to remember it. Because what your brain brings to the table is the ability to solve a problem. And if you're wasting your brain capacity on trying to remember, oh, wait, did I ask this question? Okay, wait, what do we do here? What happens this time? You don't have the ability to problem solve. So, you know, I I, I give him credit for that because I use that all the time now. Our brains should be used for solving problems, not remembering things. So the stuff that we do monotonous day in, day out, let's get that documented so our brains don't have to think about it. Well, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's fire time. And, you know, my hope is that this podcast season has been eye-opening for you. I, I think it's really cool to hear stories of people in different maturity phases of their career. And there was a ton that Chris brought to the table here. So, you know, this week, if you're someone who struggles with being an intense personality, like, like me and like Chris, I would, I would tell you, find one way to practice restraint and, and, and show self-awareness when you're in an in interaction with someone who doesn't share your intensity you got to remember that for you, what, what might be an eight or a nine on the intensity scale truly is a 15 for somebody else. And it's easy to bowl them over. So I hope that there's humility that you can show this week as you serve the people around you. So that's all we have for now. We're going to be back again next week with another episode and it's going to be awesome. So until then, I hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to the fire time podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to burn in.